Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It's a blessing that we can be here again this afternoon to worship our sovereign God. A hearty welcome to everybody here and to all those who have joined us via the live stream this afternoon. May the preaching cause us to trust our Saviour Jesus Christ and cause us to live in a way that shows our thankfulness for his love. This history has the following announcements. Consistory with deacons will meet the Lord willing tomorrow evening at 7.30 in the consistory room. And then we've got a, a few other announcements in addition to this morning's ones. Brother Mark Melder will be presenting on Thursday evening at, that's the 19th, at 7.30 in the Free Reformed Church of Southern River. The topic of his mission presentation is walking in their shoes. The funeral for Mrs G Vanjoon will be held tomorrow, beginning with the graveside service at 10.30am at Lambie Park Cemetery, which is at 241 Lower King Road in Albany. Following the internment, there will be a funeral service beginning at 11.30am at the Free Reformed Church of Albany. There will be an opportunity to express condolences to the family after the service. Refreshments will be provided. This afternoon we welcome Reverend Poppy to the pulpit. Before we commence, let us sing together Psalm 36 verse 2. Please rise and let's worship the Lord. As God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing a song of praise to our God. We're going to sing from Psalm 23, the verses 1, 2, and 3.
This afternoon, let's make a public profession of our faith, and let's do so with the words of the Nicene Creed. Let everyone say with me in his heart, We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all ages, God of God, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not made, of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us men in our salvation came down from heaven and became incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he arose according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who spoke through the prophets. And we believe one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let's now sing together from Psalm 25, the verses 7, 8, and 10.
Let's pray to God and let's ask God for his blessing. Dear Father in heaven, once again this Sunday afternoon we come into your presence. We're thankful that we would be here together. Thank you, Father, that, that you call us together here. Thank you that you do so because you wish to, to address us, to tell us of your love and grace for us, to teach us about who you are and what you've done for us. Father, we just sang a few songs in which we confess that we are your people and that we believe that you're a good God who takes care of his people. You are the good shepherd. You lead and guide us. You direct us, even in the difficult days of life. Sometimes we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and you are here, you are near us. But we also pray that you would guard our life, that you would not neglect us, that you not let us be put to shame, but that you would protect us. We confess, Lord, that we put our trust in you, that as our Father, we believe that you're the one who can help us with these things. And Lord, that's the truth of it. We don't have anywhere else to turn. We can't do it ourselves. And so we turn to you. Thank you for your promises. And thank you for your grace in Christ. And thank you for, for loving us and for promising to be with us through to the end. We pray, Father, that we may understand that, that we may be built up by the preaching of the gospel this afternoon, that we realize your steadfast love and your dealings with us, that we may depend upon these promises. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for all our sins. Please give us a delightful time in fellowship with you. Please accept the songs and the, the prayers that we offer, the confession that we make. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, this afternoon I get to preach to you concerning the, the sinfulness of man and the way that God preserves his own. And in connection with that, I'd like to read a few verses with you from Romans chapter 8. So I'm going to read the last verses of that chapter. So in Romans 8, we're going to start reading at verse 26, and we'll read through to the end of the chapter. You can find that on page 1123 of your guest Bible. So Romans 8, verse 26, there God's word says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he, not also with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, 
More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So far the the reading of God's word, we're going to sing together from Psalm 17, the verses 1, 3, and 6.
Brothers and sisters, this afternoon I may preach God's word to you. The sermon this afternoon is going to be about the sinfulness that we have and the way that God preserves us despite our sins. We're going to look at how the scripture teaches this, as it's also summarized for us in the first six articles of the fifth head of doctrine of the Canons of Dort. So you find that on page 582 of your book of praise. So page 582, you have the fifth head of doctrine, the perseverance of the saints. Article 1 starts, the regenerate not free from indwelling sin. Those whom God, according to his purpose, calls into the fellowship of his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and regenerates by his Holy Spirit, he certainly sets free from the dominion and slavery of sin, but not entirely in this life, from the flesh and the body of sin. And daily sins of weakness... Therefore, daily sins of weakness spring up and defects cling to even the best works of the saints. These are for them a constant reason to humble themselves before God, to flee to the crucified Christ, to put the flesh to death more and more through the spirit of prayer and by holy exercises of godliness, and to long and strive for the goal of perfection, until at last, delivered from this body of death, they reign with the Lamb of God in heaven. Article 3, God preserves his own. Because of these remnants of indwelling sin, and also because of the temptation of the world and of Satan, those who have been converted could not remain standing in that grace if left to their own strength. But God is faithful, who mercifully confirms them in the grace once conferred upon them, and powerfully preserves them in that grace to the end. Saints may fall into serious sins. Although the power of God, whereby he confirms and preserves true believers in grace, is so great that it cannot be conquered by the flesh, yet the converted are not always so led and moved by God that they cannot, in certain particular actions, turn aside through their own fault from the guidance of grace and be seduced by and yield to the lusts of the flesh. They must therefore constantly watch and pray that they may not be led into temptation. When they do not watch and pray, they not only can be drawn away by the flesh, the world, and Satan into serious and atrocious sins, but with the righteous permission of God, are sometimes actually drawn away. The lamentable fall of David, Peter, and other saints described in Holy Scripture demonstrates this. Then Article 5 is the effects of such serious sins. By such gross sins, however, they greatly offend God, incur the guilt of death, Grieve the Holy Spirit, suspend the exercise of faith, severely wound their consciences, and sometimes for a while lose the sense of God's favor until they return to the right way through sincere repentance and God's fatherly face shines, again shines upon them. In Article 6, God will not permit his elect to be lost. For God, who is rich in mercy, according to the unchangeable purpose of his election, does not completely withdraw his Holy Spirit from his own, even in their deplorable fall. Neither does he permit them to sink so deep that they fall away from the grace of adoption and the state of justification, or commit the sin unto death or the sin against the Holy Spirit, and totally deserted by him, plunge themselves into eternal ruin. 
so far the, the confession. And after the proclamation of God's word, we're going to sing together once again of the faithfulness of the Lord in preserving his people from Psalm 138, the verses 1 and 4. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, are you going to be faithful in serving the Lord to the very end of your life? Could it ever happen that you reject the Lord? That you wander off, drift away from Him? You know, sometimes that happens. This morning we, we had an excommunication. There's quite a few among us who who have a brother or sister or a close friend who at one time was a member of the church but who, who left the church at some point. Now, if that happens to somebody else, then you might wonder, well, what's preventing that from happening to me? You know, some people who say you can never be sure. You don't know if you're going to be it. You don't know if you're going to make it to glory. What really raises the question, what does our Father have to say about this? Can we have any certainty about our eternal destiny? Does God leave us guessing about our future? Here in the Canons of Dort, in chapter 5, it summarizes the biblical teaching that the Lord preserves his elect. Those whom he has chosen, God says, he will definitely bring to salvation. If you are one of the elect of God, then there is no doubt about your eternal salvation. The Lord promises that he is faithful and that he will bring you into glory. And it's important for us to, to get a handle on that. The most foundational thing is that God has the power and he has the faithfulness to bring his people into glory. And it's when we understand that that we can get some perspective on this question. And so I preach God's word to you this th with this theme, the Lord preserves his elect to the end. We're going to see in the first place the reality of our sin, and then secondly, that God preserves his own. Now, it's some months ago that we first heard about the, the doctrine of election. And if you think about that, it's really quite astounding, brothers and sisters. The Lord chose in Christ to salvation a definite numbers of person, definite numbers of persons. It's in Ephesians 1 verse 3, in Christ he chose before the foundation of the world his people to be holy and blameless before him. And if you really think about that, that's really quite comforting. God has the final say about who's going to be saved. And God had that say at the beginning of time, before the world was exi existed, before he called anyone to, into being, he made that decision up front. And he sent to die he sent Christ to die for those people. Well, the question becomes, am I in? Do I get to share? Now, there can be lots of times in life that you don't really struggle with that question. If you love the Lord, if you understand what he's done for you, if you're faithful in his service, if you have times where there's peace and stability in your life, then you can be very secure in God's love and faithfulness towards you. But you know, there's also other times in life. There are some times where you really struggle. 
There are times where, where you do have doubts and you're not sure where you're at. And then the question becomes, how do you deal with those times? And the core issue for us, if you really boil it down, at the end of the day, the core issue is our sin. You know, sometimes you, need, you, knew, you meet it when you, when you have new Christians. You share the gospel with somebody, they come to believe in Jesus Christ for the first time, and it's such an exciting thing. They come to know who God is, and they come into the church, and they see the lives of God's people. And there's so much peace, and there's so much stability, there's so much faithfulness. You know, their, their lives are, are so blessed in so many ways. And then they, they see that, and they think to themselves, you know, I can't wait to get there. I really look forward to, to being in that space. But then sometimes it's really disconcerting because they believe in Jesus Christ, and yet sin is still a really powerful force in their lives. They become discouraged about how often they still get angry and how easy it is to lie, how easy it is to use God's name in vain. And then sometimes it happens, they go back into their old context, back to their old people, and it's really disheartening to see how quickly they revert to their old way of being. They find out the reality of Paul's experience, Romans 7 verse 21, I do not do the good that I want to do, but it's the evil that I do not want to do, that's what I keep on doing. And you know, it's not just new believers who are in that space. You know, it happens to every one of us. We all may struggle from time to time. It's quite striking if you think of a passage like Psalm 14. There it says that there is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there is any who understand who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. Not even one. He looks down from heaven. And he looks over the face of the world and he's trying to find somebody who does good. And David says, there's not a soul. There's really no one. In Lord's Day 21, it talks about my sins against which I have to struggle all my life. In Lord's Day 23, we confess that I'm still inclined to all evil. In Lord's Day 44, it talks about how there are these sins that we have to struggle against our whole life long. You know, oftentimes, the more you get to know God, and the more closely you walk with Him, the more the reality of your sin strikes home. You love your Father, and you don't want to grieve Him. And you struggle against your sins. But many times, it's not that easy to just put it away. We have those besetting sins, the ones that we are more familiar with in our past. Many times, those are the sins that are so easy to fall into again. And so you plead with God. You say, Lord, here I am, and after so many years, I'm still so selfish. Now, here I am, I'm so critical of my adult children. I don't want to criticize them, but I keep torching the relationship with them by the things that I say and by the words that come out of my mouth. If you think about the sermon this morning, Lord, I don't want to be greedy. I don't want to be covetous. I don't want to give that space in my life. But I find myself reverting back to that same place over and over again. And then sometimes you even ask, you say, Lord, why don't you help me? Why does it never change? Why do I always have to struggle? Well, if it keeps happening, 
And the question becomes, maybe I'm not really a child of God. If I was God's child, wouldn't he save me? And you try your hardest. You pray, and you pray, and you pray, and you fight. You want it to be different. You do everything to get under the power of, from under the power of sin. Sometimes it goes on for weeks, for months, for years. If it happens to you then, you, then you stand there, brothers and sisters, and then you're a beggar. You have nothing. Then you are what, what Christ says, poor in spirit. You stand the Lord before the Lord as someone who's completely destitute. You say, Lord, here I am. I got nothing. I can't, I can't put it together. And I need your help. And I need you to do it for me. And Christ says, blessed are you when you're in that space. That's what our confession talks about here. It talks about these daily sins of weakness. They are for them a constant reason to humble themselves before God, to flee to the crucified Christ, to put the flesh to death more and more through the power, through the spirit of prayer and by the holy exercises of godliness. You stand there, brothers and sisters, and you're deeply humbled. You can only plead for grace. I also love the way that the Westminster Confession of Faith talks about it. But a year ago, I mentioned this one time, and I just thought maybe it's helpful to repeat it again. It's in Article 5, verse 5. There it says, The most wise, righteous, and gracious God doth oftentimes leave for a season his own children to manifold temptations and to the corruption of their own hearts, to chastise them for their former sins, or to discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts, that they may be humbled, and to raise them to a more close and constant dependence for their support upon himself, and to make them more watchful against future occasions of sin, and for sundry other just and holy ends. Sometimes the Lord leaves you there for a time, brothers and sisters, because he really wants to humble you. He wants to prepare you for grace. That's not a bad thing. When you're in that space, then, then you realize who Christ is, and then you depend upon him. You know, nothing teaches you utter dependence upon God than failure. It's the best lesson. It's the best way of learning experiencing how much you need help. And then you take on to your lips the words of the Apostle Paul a little later in Romans 7. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if that's not even bad enough for them, brothers and sisters, it gets even worse than that. There's other times in life where we sin in ominous ways. We do those really bad things. You commit adultery, or you molest a child, or you murder someone, or you steal a lot of money from somebody who you know well, or you commit perjury in court, or you do some other serious sin. And usually, in the moment, it feels like the right thing to do. You get what you want, or you get out of trouble. But it always catches up to you. 
Sometimes it takes months, sometimes even years. But there is a time where it catches up to you. And then there's deep shame. You realize who you are and where you stand. And our confession talks about that. Saints may fall into serious sins. David commits adultery and murder. Peter betrays his Lord. And actually, if you want to, you can make this a huge long list. When you read through the Bible, then many of the characters who are some of the main figures in the history of salvation have committed very serious sins. You have Cain who murders his brother Abel. Or you have the story of Lot's daughters who get their father drunk and then sleep with him. You have the father of all believers, Abraham, who lies about his sister Sarai, being his, his wife Sarai being his sister. And he does it again and again. Or you have Reuben who sleeps with his stepmom. Or Judah who goes to a prostitute. Or Simeon and Levi who kill a whole town in cold blood. Or Jacob's brothers who go into human trafficking and they sell their brother into slavery. Or Samson who breaks his vow and sleeps with multiple women. Or the men of Ephraim who have homosexual relations with a visitor in their town. And since they can't do that, they end up raping his servant girl until she dies. You have Saul who gets involved in witchcraft. You have Samson, sorry, Solomon who gets married to 300 different wives. Now some of these, we're told later, don't make it into the kingdom of heaven. But many of these figures were some of the, the greatest figures in the history of salvation. It's just crazy that these are the leaders in the church, yet they do these horrific things. Well, you do that, at least to, to great suffering. You offend God. You bring this, this serious guilt upon yourself. Sometimes you suspend the exercise of faith. Sometimes it happens to you that you're in this place, you do these things, and you think to yourself, a child of God would never do that. And then sometimes people get hopeless. They do a whole bunch of things when they're in that space that are really displeasing to God. You feel that you can't pray. You don't feel worthy to go to church. When you sit in church, then you feel different from everybody else. You feel that you're dark, your soul is dark, that there's this blackness within you. It's not uncommon that you severely wound your conscience. You give up hope. You end up in this space that is completely brutal. And you think to yourself, well, there's no way that I could ever come back from this. There's no way that I could be a child of God. Was it true? Can you fall from grace? Is there such a thing as committing a sin that puts you beyond the grace of the Lord Jesus? Now, the whole message of the Bible is that the Lord is a God of grace. The reason the Lord tells us these stories about the horrific sins that his people commit is because he wants to convince you that there is a way back. He will show mercy and he will preserve his people. In Galatians 1, the Apostle Paul, he uses himself as an example. 
He says that he was a violent persecutor of the church. In 1 Timothy 1 verse 13, he marvels that he's allowed to serve God as an apostle because at one time he was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opposer of Christ. He's saying, if, if grace was shown to me, of all people, then certainly grace can be shown to others. I got to be an apostle. I got to preach the gospel. I got to go out to the world and tell them who Christ is. The example that, that I sometimes tell people in my study, I tell them about Manasseh, 2 Chronicles 33. He's a man who, in the scriptures, he committed more sin than almost anybody else. He put an end to the worship of God. He set up idols in the temple of God. He worshipped the sun, moon, and stars. He worshipped Baal and Asherah. He participated in witchcraft. He filled Jerusalem with innocent blood. He devoted his whole life to doing evil. And at some point, the Lord says, that's enough. And God dragged him off to exile. And when he was in exile, then finally he realized. And he changed. And he became a new man. And when he came back, the Lord restored him. He came back to the promised land. And when the Lord restored him, put him back on the throne, then the last part of his life, he devoted as much energy to pursuing the service of the Lord as the energy that he put into leading people into evil. Well, if God can save Manasseh, is there anyone who's beyond grace? He doesn't save us because we're good people, brothers and sisters. He saves us despite our sins. He saves us because he is gracious and because he is merciful. He chooses certain people, and those people he brings into glory. It's actually the whole point to the Bible. When you read the scriptures, then it's, it's the weak, and it's the lowly, and it's the things that are not, that are chosen by God, and that are used by God in, in his plan of salvation. He chooses, right at the very beginning, he chooses Abraham to be the father of all believers. Well, Abraham's a nobody. He's living beyond the river. He's living nowhere. His father served false gods. And God chooses that man, and he says, I am going to make you into the father of many nations, and all nations on earth are going to be blessed through you. And he does it because he wants to give us a picture that salvation is his work, that he's the one who chooses, and those whom he chooses he will bring into glory. Now, there's so many places in the Bible where the Lord wishes to impress that on us. One of the, the more famous ones, Ephesians 2 verse 8, they were shown that salvation is the work of Christ alone. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. It's not your work, but it's God's work by which you're saved. And since God is the one who saves you, then you can be certain that he will bring you to the end. I'd just like to go with you through a few passages here and just show how often the Lord encourages us in this message. So in the first verses of Philippians 1, the Apostle Paul tells the Philippians about his joy that they're partners with him in the gospel from the first day they heard it unto now. Then he says, Philippians 1 verse 6, he says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. I'm confident, I'm sure, 
that the God who started to work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ. He's going to save you. It's not because you're so good, but because he accomplishes the work that he sets out to do. It's the same message for the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 4. Paul says that Christ will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of of our Lord Jesus Christ. How can he say that? How can he say that he will sustain you? And he gives the reason in the next verse. He says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You'll make it in because God is faithful. The Lord brings his plan of election to fulfillment, brothers and sisters. It's really striking when you go to that passage in in Romans 8. We read together Romans 8 verse 30. talks about the order of salvation there. And the most striking thing is the tenses of the verbs that he uses there. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And that's just weird. He called certain people in the past. He justified certain people in the past. He predestined certain people in the past. But glorification doesn't happen till the end. And yet it's so certain, Paul is so sure that it's going to happen, that he puts it into the past tense. Those whom he has justified, he also glorified. He will accomplish it, because he is God. And he finishes his work for his people. It's the message that our Lord Jesus Christ brought many times in his preaching to the people. In John 6, verse 39, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. Again, in John 14, verse 6, He will send his people the Holy Spirit who will be with them forever. Now, the truth is that you may have committed serious sins, brothers and sisters. You may have to struggle against daily sins of weakness. You may be powerfully tempted by demonic forces. But the Lord is watching over you. The Lord promises to bring his people into glory. Sometimes it's difficult to turn away from sin. Temptation is really powerful. It's in those moments that Paul says, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, he says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Yes, we sin. Yes, we're, we're really powerfully tempted. But God says he's able to help us. He's able to carry us through the weakness of our faith. He never lets his chosen people go so far in sin that they harden themselves against him. He's a God who holds on to you. John 8, John 10, sorry, verse 28. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. The devil can attack, but at the end of the day, he can't snatch God's people out of his hand. 
In 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and will guard you against the evil one. Or in Romans 8, verse 38, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are saved by an act of grace, brothers and sisters. The Lord chooses certain people, and he brings those people into glory. And nothing and no one can resist him. Our nature is sinful, and our enemies are powerful. And if God weren't on our side, then our situation would be hopeless. But the comfort of the gospel is that Jesus Christ is the King of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. Well, you wonder, what about our responsibility? What do we have to do? Can we just sit back and let it happen? And you know that's not the truth, brothers and sisters. We talked about that a couple of months ago. The Lord elects his people. There's also this, this profound mystery. The Lord is the one who takes responsibility for our salvation. He's 100% sovereign. Yet the Lord also holds us accountable. We're also 100% responsible for what we do. And you see that same dynamic playing out in a bunch of passages in which it talks about the Lord preserving his people through to the end. In Hebrews 12, verse 1, we're commanded, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin, and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You have to set aside the sin. You have to run with endurance the race that's set out for you. You have to devote your life to the Lord. And yet it's so interesting. If you read the next verse, it says there, we have to run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You need to look to Jesus because he is the the founder and the perfecter of your faith. He founded your faith. He gave you your faith. He started your faith at the beginning. And he will perfect your faith. He'll bring it through to the end. He'll bring you to completion, to maturity, through his power. And so you have to run. But you do that in the knowledge of Christ's power. Or in a similar way, 1 Peter 5, verse 9. You have to resist the devil who's prowling around like a roaring lion. You have to resist him. You don't give in to him, but you fight against him. You resist that. In the very next line, then it continues and it says, And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You need to resist. But God will restore, strengthen, confirm, and establish you. He'll make you firm. He'll hold on to you through to the end. And for that reason, we have to give him the glory. And so if you read these passages, brothers and sisters, there's many more that I could refer to. 
know, there is a responsibility that we bear in perseverance. And we're going to talk about that in a couple of months. We're going to see, or sorry, in a couple of weeks. We're going to see how the Lord calls us to use the means of grace. And he calls us to, to walk before him in faith in order to preserve, to persevere through to the end. But the bedrock that stands underneath that is the faithfulness of God. God chooses his people, and those whom he has chosen, he will bring into glory. And that's the one that thing that, that gives us stability, it gives us peace. You know, at the end of the day, it's not dependent upon my own strength, but at the end of the day, it's dependent upon the strength of my Savior. When you hear these things, brothers and sisters, it's very encouraging to hear what God promises and who God is. The next question that you're going to ask, is you're going to say, well, what about me? Does that apply to me? And what about my kids? Does that apply to my kids? And the short answer is, that if you believe in the Lord Jesus, then yes, it does apply to you. And you can be certain that God will bring you into glory. And the long answer is the sermon next week. So we'll get back to that next time. Amen. Let's sing together, brothers and sisters. We're going to sing from Psalm 138, the verses 1 and 4.
Let's now call upon the Lord in thanksgiving and prayer. This afternoon we'll remember the, uh, the synod that's going on in Canada right now. Also one of the decisions that they, they took is they decided to appoint Reverend Ruben Bradenhoff as the new professor at the seminary for ministry and mission. And so we'll pray to God that he would bless this brother as he prepares for and eventually takes up that position. So let's pray to the Lord. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we humble ourselves before you, Lord. We're sinners, and we offend you. And sometimes it happens that our sins are really serious, that we, we have these doubts that linger for years and years. We have these sins that we've committed that are really serious. We're in this space where, where we really struggle. We want to stop, and we want to be different. We wish our situation to change. We keep finding ourselves falling into the same thing, and we're deeply humbled because of our sins. Father, we believe that you have the power to rescue us. And so we, we come to you, Lord. We, we accept what is. Sometimes we're destitute. Sometimes we stand before you with empty hands. We realize the extent of our depravity, and, and we have nothing for you. And then, Lord, we... We stand before you and we plead with you for grace. And we ask that you would be kind to us, that you show us mercy for Jesus' sake, and that you bring us into glory because of what Christ has done on our behalf. Thank you for sending a Savior, Lord, and thank you that, that he paid the price, that he accomplished his work. And we also thank you that you are a faithful God, that you're a God of steadfast love, and that you, you're always true to your promises. You will fulfill your word. And then, Lord, we, we honor you that those whom you have chosen, you will, you will also bring into glory. We pray then, Lord, that we may believe that, that we put our trust in you, that we find security in your promises. As we look to our Lord Jesus in faith, as we stand before him with empty hands, help us to, to believe and trust that you can and you will bring us into glory. That is your, that is your honor. So on the great day of, of Jesus Christ, at the end of time, Father, then, then every knee is going to bow before you, and everyone's going to recognize that salvation is your work, and we're going to give you the praise and the glory for that. At the same time, Father, you also call us to flee from sin, and to resist the devil, and to fight against our natural inclinations. You call us to put away from ourselves the sin that so easily entangles, and to run the race with endurance. We pray, Father, that you would strengthen us with your Holy Spirit to that end. Grant that as we reflect on the grace that you've extended us in Christ, that our lives can be filled with obedience as an expression of our thankfulness to you. Grant that, we, that we're able to do your laws, Lord, that we're able to give you pleasure, that we may do that through the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. Dear Lord in heaven, we also pray that you would please grant your grace to our children. We ask, Lord, that you would help our children to grow up to know and love you. Be with us as parents, that we're able to lay the scriptures on their hearts, especially the message of the gospel, that we can teach our children to live out of your grace. Help us to, to teach our children that they can't do it either, that they, that they need a savior and a redeemer, and that Jesus Christ is their savior and that he's done it for them. Father, we pray also that, that you would please grant your grace to some of those who have left there are members of our congregation who, who have left your service and who, who no longer worship with us. 
we ask that you would bring them back. Or there's no sin that you can't overcome in your grace. And so we ask that you would restore your people to us, that together we may serve you. You tell us that there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 who never had to. And so, Lord, we, we pray that, that you may have much joy, that you would accomplish the salvation of your people. And if there's a way that we can have a role in that, Father, we pray that we may do so also. Dear Father in heaven, we also wish to pray for a blessing over the Canadian Reformed Theological Seminary. I want to ask that you would please be with the professors and students. We're grateful that they finished their work for another year. Give them a, a good summer. They're each going off to different responsibilities in different ways, and we, we ask that that may go well for them. Father in heaven, we also want to pray for a blessing over Reverend Reuben Bradenhoff. We're thankful, Lord, that the, this, the Synod has decided to appoint him as a professor of ministry and mission. It's quite a significant responsibility, and so we want to entrust our brother to your throne of grace. Please enable him to, to prepare for that calling. Grant that he's able to become grounded in these disciplines so that he can be a faithful minister who preaches to the next generation about who you are and what you have done for your people. Dear Father in heaven, we, we want to ask that you would give humility and faithfulness and godliness to the professors at the seminary, that they're able to do the work that you have given them and that you would bless that. We also wish to, to ask, Father, that you would bless us later this week. We're hoping to hear a presentation from Brother Mark Mulder about the, the work that's going on in the churches around the RCBC. I want to ask, Lord, that you bless the work at the, the Bible College, that this work may go on, that the next generation of ministers in PNG may be trained how to handle your word in truth, and that they may be able to, to bring the message of the gospel to the next generations. Lord, we pray for your blessing over the preaching of the gospel. Grant that your word goes out and that your people may put their faith in you. Thankful also for our missionaries, Lord. Thankful for the, for the time that they could have together and the, the training that they could do together and the blessing that you've given through that. Please continue to strengthen and encourage them for their tasks. And please grant them your grace for Jesus' sake. Thank you for the blessing in their lives. Thank you, Lord, for, for the gift of a birthday and and also an anniversary, pray that you would please uphold and strengthen their families, that you would be near to them, and that you, that you assist them, keep them safe from sickness, and grant that, that they have strength and energy for their tasks. We thank you, Lord, for the week that lies before us once again. We want to ask you for your blessing over that. Grant that we are able to do our work faithfully, and that may go well for us. It's near the end of this week. We're looking forward to electing a new government, and we want to pray for your, your blessing over this election. I want to ask, Father, that you would please raise men and women to office who know you and your righteous laws, and that you would allow our country to be governed in righteousness before you. We ask for our nation, Lord, that you would work a revival among this nation, that people may repent of their sin, that they may look to you in faith, and that you would grant them your grace. Help us to realize, as a nation, the, the extent of evil and help us to, to flee from evil and to seek your face. Lord, thank you that, that we may be certain that also the election is in your control, and that you also use this for the good of your church and to bring Christ on the clouds of heaven. Thank you that we may put our trust in you, and that we find our comfort in you alone. Lord, please 
Hear our prayer now. We ask all these things of you because we know your character. We know you to be a gracious God. We know you to be abounding in steadfast love and mercy. We know you to be a powerful God. We know you to be a God who, who exercises his control for the good of your people and the glory of your name. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. So brothers and sisters, once again at the as you exit the, the auditorium here, you're going to have the opportunity to give your thank offerings to the Lord. The collection this afternoon is for the Canadian Reformed Theological Seminary for whom we prayed. Then at this time, you're invited to rise, and we're going to sing together from hymn 83, the verses 1 and 2. now the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. <laughs>